Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guests today are Senior Program Manager Abby War and Program Manager Isabel Neely, and they are with People Helping People. The website is phputah.org. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. We're excited. So let's start with the most basic question. What is People Helping People and who do you serve? Yeah, uh, so People Helping People, we are a employment program, a nonprofit here in Salt Lake City. And uh, we, uh, our, our mission is to reduce the number of children living in poverty by helping low-income women, primarily single moms, reach an adequate income through uh, successful employment. Uh, we work with about 1,000 women every year in some capacity, some more than others. And we serve women all along the Wasatch Front, as far north as Weber County, as far south as Utah County. And Isabel, who started the company or the the organization and why? Yeah, so we have a fearless leader who actually just retired this year. Her name is Kayleen Simmons. She originally started this program because she was working with a government agency. And she was, she through that process, she recognized that there were a lot of women getting stuck in welfare. So her entire goal when starting this program was to really transition women from welfare to work to help bridge that gap and help them reach self-sufficiency by getting off government assistance. I love nonprofits that have a very focus, a a real defined focus, and it sounds like you do. Um, So for each of you, Abby, how did you come to be at People Helping People, and what's your background? Yeah, uh, so my, basically, since I entered the workforce, my my background's been um, in nonprofit work. Uh, But I came to People Helping People about four and a half years ago, just as I was finishing up my undergrad. Um, I had always worked, um, again, in the nonprofit sphere, but I wanted to find a place that was focus specifically on women because that is, uh, you know, there's a big gap in services or I should, or maybe there's a big gap in resources for women in, for employment for women in Utah. Um, In the, in the resources that are available to them in the almost cultural expectations that, that uh, our society has on them. So I wanted to be part of a place that not only had the resources to tell, you know, women of Utah of all backgrounds that they can do it, but that they're capable of it hmm. and that they're worthy of it. And Isabel, how about you? Yes. Yeah, so my background, similar to Abby's, was in nonprofit. I'd done about two years of nonprofit work before I found my way to people helping people. I do have a bachelor's degree in international development, which led me to where I am today. My really driving factor and why I seeked out people helping people in that job application process was I was like a lot of other um, individuals out there in the community was raised by a single mom Mm. who unfortunately did get stuck in that world of welfare. And it was really the mission was really something that spoke to me to really be specific in helping women and not only women, but their family circumstances to really raise those kids out of poverty, try to break that poverty cycle in Utah. And it was just really inspiring to me. And I've been here for almost a year and a half now. So clearly I do love what I do. Well, that's great. Um, Abby, maybe you can explain how the program works. Somebody 
finds out about people helping people. It's a single mom. Mm-hmm. She's struggling to make ends meet. She's on assistance. She walks mm-hmm. into your door, and what happens? Yeah, so uh, women uh, come to us through all sorts of avenues, whether they're referred from uh, a caseworker they have, whether they find us online, whether they, you know, hear us talking in a in a podcast interview. <laughs> um, but they come to us from, you know, all, all sorts of places. But once they come to us, we have them go through what we call a program overview. And that's really just to tell them exactly what we expect of them and what they're getting into. Because uh, so, something that we say all the time here is that uh, timing is everything. And before a lot of our clients even have the, you know, uh, mental, emotional capacity to seek full-time employment, there's some other things that they have to get into place first. Those those, uh, basic needs have to be met first. So just right out the gate, we want to tell them, you know, what we expect of them, what they can hope to, what we hope that they get out of the program, and uh, just let they know what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, if they decide that the time is right after that program overview, uh, we get them right into uh, phase one coaching where they um, what well, it's phase one coaching is where we determine what where they want to be career wise and what tools they need to fill those gaps. So they determine you know how much money they need to make in order to. Uh, break even in order to uh, to get off assistance and in order to you know get ahead after mm-hmm. that because we don't want them to ever stop we want them to keep going um, we determine you know what they're good at and what they like doing at least most of the time um, what kind of work environments are best for them because you know a job is a lot more than just the work that you're sure, doing yeah. um, and uh, so once we have that that vision of where they want to be and that vision of their ideal job, that's when we get into, you know, we're an employment program. That's where we get into the resumes, the interviews, cover letters, all that good stuff. And um, and then a big part of our program is that we have um, ongoing support. So once they get that job, we want to let them know that they still have that support and that's, that's only the first step. So after they get that job, we expect that they get ahead in that job, whatever that looks like and means to them. So maybe that means, um, you know, in however many months asking for a raise, Mm. seeking out new opportunities, showing a willingness to learn to, um, you know, get promoted or to cross train and just to increase their earning potential, increase their value to an employer so that those jobs can turn into careers. I thought this was really interesting on your website. You mentioned Mm -hmm. you serve about a thousand women a year. Mm -hmm. But for every single or low-income woman that transitions through your program from welfare to employment, it actually saves the community about five to $20,000 a year. That's huge. Uh, and our goal for every single one of our clients is to reach self-sufficiency. Well, the first step to reach self-sufficiency. So, um, And a big part of what we do here is we focus on the community as a whole. We know that you know, when these women do better, they're making their lives better for their children. They're making their lives better for everyone else in their lives in their village. So a big part of that number is almost conceptualizing that, you know, there's a big community picture here at large. Right. Mm-hmm. Isabel, maybe you can, what are some of the misconceptions about single women and single moms and being on welfare and not being able to get a job? Yeah. Um, in Utah, it's pretty common for moms to stay home with their children. And I feel like a lot of the misconceptions by the community is that they don't want to work. 
um, or that they may not have the skills to work or that they've never worked before. And that's not the case at all. A lot of what of the women that were serving the barriers that they're facing usually comes from the fact that these single moms do have children and there is a really big gap in the workplace and just really in the community that goes as far as childcare and having childcare is the number one priority for these women in order for them to be able to go back to work because if you don't have childcare, you can't go to work because there's no one to watch those kids. So there is that misconception in the community that either these women don't want to work, that they don't have the abilities or the skills, and they absolutely do. It's just in, you know, the the timing of finding the right resources and finding the right jobs and positions so that they are able to have that flexibility with their children and meet the needs that they, they, they do need in order to gain that successful employment. Yeah, and I think that there's that image out there of the welfare mom who is just fine staying at home and living off the mm-hmm. government. It sounds like that's not what you hear from these moms. Oh, no, not at all. Um, so so something that a lot of our women face is so they, you know, utilizing they're utilizing a variety of um, of resources, whether they be government assistance, church assistance or from another um, community partner, whatever it may be. But for a lot of these women, so let's say that they go to work, they get a job uh, and then their boss comes to them because they're doing so well. And their boss is like, OK, we're going to give you a raise. And a lot of our clients have been in situations where they've had to turn that raise down because of something called the cliff effect. Uh, Mm. Because once these clients, if they get that $1 raise, they have to go back to all of these different resources they're using. So government, church, um, whatever other resource, whatever. Medicare. Yeah, Medicare, et cetera. Um, Then that's all of those resources that they're utilizing say, oh, you're making an extra Mm. dollar an hour. You don't need as much. So that $1 an hour raise becomes a a $4 an hour decrease uh. in their earning. So a lot of them have to, you know, maybe they, they see those opportunities are there, but that that it makes a, a much bigger jump right. in order to for, for them to reach adequate income mm-hmm. or to be self-sufficient because overcoming that barrier is a lot bigger than yeah. maybe we see. So, Isabel, what's the solution to that in a perfect world? <laughs> in a perfect world... Having child care resources be more available. Huh. Um, there are a lot of child care resources out in the community from different agencies like Neighborhood House. And there are a lot of employers out there that even offer child care reimbursement or on ch- on-site child care facilities. But unfortunately, that's not the majority. Yeah. And so in a perfect world, ideally, every employer has a child care facility uh, on site yeah. or offers some type of vet benefit for these women so that they don't have to wake up every morning worried that they're not going to be able to get to work because they don't have anyone to watch their children that day so that they really can put themselves, you know, first for mm-hmm. for that time being so that they can go to work and get that paycheck and keep taking those big steps towards their goals, goals and admirations that they have for themselves. Yeah. What do you coach those women? How do you coach women in that situation? I'm being offered a raise, but it's actually going to cost me money. Mm-hmm. What What do you tell them to do in that situation? Because I would think... You'd want to take the raise because that's the next mm-hmm. step. Yeah. So so for every single one of our clients, we have them come up 
with uh, basic uh, with a financial plan more or less. So to so that they can visualize how much money they need to make in order to pay the bills, how much money they need to make in order to get off of assistance. And then we go even further than that. So how much money they need to make it, um, for that extra extra to five, ten dollars an hour and what that would actually mean to them. Because uh, more often than not, um, there are empl- with with the right employer and with the right company, all of these barriers are are it, our, our clients can overcome these barriers. If the employer exactly. understands that, hold mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. cliff. Yeah, and if they have the the resources available. So whether that be, well, so first of, car, of course, an, an adequate wage, an mm-hmm. adequate starting wage for the jobs that are, these clients are, are, are wanting to do. And then significant benefits, whether that be child care, um, but also maybe uh, ongoing training or tuition uh, reimbursement or... Um, or wellness uh, programs or uh, food programs. You know, there are lots of employers that have these, you know, there's the there's the wage and then there's the benefits that come with right. that that can help these clients overcome it. those, um, can help those cli- our clients fill those gaps. I'm seeing more and more on job postings now where employers will actually attach a value to their benefits package, mm-hmm. which I think is really smart for employers. Mm-hmm. Sure, here's what you're going to be paid, but here's the value of the benefits you're going to get, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's valuable. Yeah. And, Abby, a little while ago you mentioned that – I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. Utah's kind of a unique place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dominant religion here does sort of dictate a certain thing. And maybe it's not the religion itself as much as – the members of, of the church that have sort of just adopted this view of my role as a woman and a mom. And so that's unique to our state. Yeah. Um, and so what are, what are the issues surrounding that? Mm-hmm. So Utah has one of the largest wage gaps in the nation, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of things that go along with that. Um, so another statistic that we like to use here at PHP is uh, so Utah women compared to other states we rank about in the middle for the percentage of our women who are in the workforce. But we rank dead last for oh, the wow. number of our women who are, or the percentage of our women working full time. Mm. And we know that with full time work comes, you know, those benefits, comes adequate right. wage, comes mm-hmm. career building. Yeah. And, and maybe a lot of our clients have grown up in backgrounds where those, or maybe not even grown up in backgrounds, but grown up had you know, partners that had expectations that right. they would not be in the workforce. And if they were in the workforce, that it's a, you know, a hobby job or, mm. um, you know, it fills the gaps while you're saving for a house or fills the gaps while X, Y, Z right. or, um, you know, and, and so on for whatever reason. Um, but rarely do our, do, uh, do our clients come in with the primary breadwinner's mindset? Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, whether that be um, culturally in the state, whether that be um, a belief um, a belief that was imposed on them from a partner or um, family or whatever their community or, or looks like around them, what we want to develop in all of our clients' mindset is that belief that not only can they be the primary breadwinner or the primary earner, mm-hmm. but they they are full on worthy of that and they're capable of that and they can derive so much fulfillment and uh, and enjoy from that from that uh, primary earner role. That was a delicate question and you handled it really well. <laughs> well thank you. <laughs> can you give us some examples of some of the women you've seen come through recently? Maybe somebody that left a, an impression on you. 
Yes, um, I do have somebody in mind. She is newer to our program within the last two years. She's actually a phase four client now. So she has been through all the phases of our program and she just really has an amazing story. So she came through our door, like I said, about two years ago, right after the pandemic. And she had, she was getting divorced and she had not worked in 17 years. She'd been a stay at home mom of two children. And in that time frame, um, she obviously was getting divorced and she knew she needed to make ends meet to feed her children. And she was really scared and unsure what that was going to look like for her since the last time she had even applied for a job was on a paper application. Yeah. So really talk about not knowing how to really navigate this new world of work that we're in. And she, so she did some research and she started coming through our program. She came through phase one coaching, started to build her business network. And in that meantime, she actually was able to enter into Goldman Sachs's returnship program, which was really huge for her. And at the end of that program, she was actually offered a VP position at Goldman Sachs. And she, I mean, makes six figures now, has oh, been able to her. take her children. Her children love to play chess, so they went on a chess vacation to <laughs> Florida. And just, she's really been a true testament of you know, believing in yourself and advocating for what you're worth. I mean, talk about taking a huge jump from not working yeah. for 17 years to making six figures in just a matter of about 18 months. And she's just been a true testament and a really great example to any woman that walks through our door. So I wonder for someone in that situation, when you sit down to help them put together a resume, what does that resume look like? That can vary. Some clients come into our program with, you know, a really well-written resume, and some clients may have never wrote a resume before. So we have a really um, very detailed process that our clients go through and when they're going through each phase. But we have a really unique opportunity where the women in our program have the opportunity to meet not only with a coach and with a mentor to work on their resume, but they actually have the opportunity to sit down one-on-one -on -one with a resume coach. And they're usually hiring HR professionals to really go through those nitty-gritty details and show them how to not only make that resume um, look professional and stay up to date on resume trends, but to actually match a, a job description so it's not getting thrown out in those hir hiring algorithms and they're able to really make it stand out to that mm. employer. Because certainly being a stay-at-home mom for a couple of decades, there are a lot of skills you have. Mm. Yeah. I just wonder how you translate those to a, a, mm. a document. Yeah, so something that we're starting to see is that uh, you will put that you are a stay-at-home mom on a job application. Um, I've, I've actually seen um, they'll put that they're a household manager mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, and with being a stay-at-home mom, you're, you are a project manager. You're a program manager. Yeah. yeah. You are an, a pro in conflict resolution and scheduling and coordinating. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there are so many skills that come with that. And, you know, and then all of the other things that they've done in their background, um, employers now uh, we're seeing that they really, really value the um, foundational soft skills mm. even more than the hard skills because hard skills can be taught, right? But yeah. these uh, foundational skills, uh, you can translate to the workplace. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, it's just about how you market those and how you pitch them to potential employers.
Yeah. And you mentioned briefly the phases. Maybe you could just go through that again. What are the four phases that, that, that they go through? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So like Abby touched on earlier, when a woman enters through our program, she has a couple different options. She can get into the education piece of our program, which is where they're attending Saturday workshops. They're coming to employer meet and greets and participating in a variety of different ways. But then we also have the phases piece of our program. So they come in and phase one, this is where they're connected with a variety of different volunteers, um, all that have been very successful at what they do, which is why they get to come back and volunteer for us. But this is where we really want to focus on getting these women to talk about themselves. We see in almost every case when a woman comes through our door, her, her biggest barrier is her confidence. So this is really where we're getting, you know, the women who may have been a stay-at-home mom for a couple decades or who have been doing jobs just to make ends meet to talk about all the skills that they do have and really talk about bringing those to the surface of those soft and hard skills and how that they can apply them to the workplace. And once they get through that phase one of our program, they're moved into phase two, which is I might be a little bit biased because these are the women that I work with, oh, okay. but phase two of our program, this is our mentoring piece. So now that they've been bouncing around in phase one with these different coaches to build their professional network, they're actually getting to meet one-on-one -on -one with a mentor. And this mentoring piece lasts about two months. And this is really where they start to develop what we like to call their toolbox. So they're really getting nitty gritty on putting together those resumes, their cover letters, and all those tools that they need to go in and not only find a job, but find that right job for them that's going to meet that break-even that they have or meet the benefits that they need, like childcare. And then after that, they move into phase three. Phase three is our employment strategies network. So this is not where we talk about, okay, now we have a job. How are we going to get ahead in the job? So how are we going to start applying and identifying promotions or better opportunities. And once they'll sit in phase three until they've reached what they feel is success to them. So what that success looks like for them, because it's different for all of us. And then they're moved into phase four, which is our women's professional network. And this is where they really have the opportunity to really start to network with one another. And they're off all assistants and they are self-sufficient and they're in they've been working for a number of years and they they're at that what that self-sufficiency looks like for them i love that it doesn't end once they get the job i think that's really important yeah, getting yeah. a job is just the first step right yep. yeah. <laughs> um, i understand you have a uh, job fair coming up uh, maybe that's not the right description yes it is a job fair mm -hmm. march 23rd um, and I can't believe I haven't done this, but the mm -hmm. website is phputah.org, phputah.org. So tell us a little bit about uh, the job fair. Yeah, so our job fair is we, we hold these twice a year. And uh, we ha we bring together 40 of our employer partners, at least around 40 of our employer partners who uh, share on jobs they're hiring for, uh, talk about their benefits, why they love working for their company and so on. Uh, so this year, this March, it will be at the Sorensen Unity Center. It's open to the entire public. Um, whether you're a client, man, woman, you're welcome to attend this job fair. And then we'll also have um, some of our resource partners 
tabling that event as well. And all of those community partners are focused on self-sufficiency, just like we are. My guest today, Senior Program Manager Abby War and Program Manager Isabel Neely with People Helping People. And again, the website, phputah.org. I didn't ask you one question. What is the cost for the women that go through your program? Our program is entirely free. That's what I suspected, so that's Mm -hmm. great news. So if you're interested and you're listening right now and you think this might help you, definitely go to the website, phputah.org. Thank you so much for coming in and for what you're doing in our community. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com.